Today on the Everything 80s podcast, the story of the Littles. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. Everyone likes miniature versions of things, and this is what leads to the success of a story, cartoon, and movie during the 80s. The Littles were the stories of miniature humanoid-like creatures that lived in the walls of a house. The cartoon version was released in 1983 and based on the books of the same name. The Littles ran for three seasons and led to two different movies. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, a cartoon and a show and movies that I'd kind of forgotten all about, but at the time were, you know, pretty uh, popular as far as, you know, when I grew up and uh, something I sort of look back on fondly. And, you know, one of those things I just didn't necessarily totally remember. They, um, I also didn't realize they went as far back as they did. Not only are the books from the 60s, but the cartoon was also earlier in the 80s than I remember. The Littles were able to capture that sensation of shrinking down into the world, which is always a big hit, you know, a la Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They created a very cool mythology with the Littles, and they feel like a bit of the inspiration behind uh, Fraggle Rock, if you look a little deeper into it. The cartoon and movie were pretty big hits in their time and carved out a nice little niche in the juggernaut that was the 1980s and all the cartoons and movies that came out then. So this is a look back at the littles. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, let's look into this. So the littles come from, I don't know how familiar you are with the books and everything, but they come from a series of books called The Borrowers. And I was not as familiar with these books and knew the littles more from the cartoon and the movie. And I mentioned they go way back. The books were written by John Peterson and were first published in 1967. The books featured a group of people called the littles who were tiny humanoid type creatures. They looked a little like mice and sort of like that, I don't know, Peter Pettigrew from Harry Potter sort of sensation. They are said to be around four to six inches high, and in the books, their main feature was the long tail. This would change when the cartoon came around, though. There was a big connection between Peterson's book and the book called The Borrowers that I mentioned before. This book was uh, created by Mary Norton. The Borrowers goes back even farther to 1952 and is about a family of tiny people that live in the walls of a regular human house. These tiny creatures have to borrow from the humans to survive, and this book was a significant success. It won the Carnegie Medal for Children's Books and is considered a top 10 medal-winning book for all-time British children's stories. Okay, so let's look at the actual story of the Littles. So whether they were a deliberate ripoff or not, the story of the Littles also involves them living in the walls of a home, this time uh, of the home of the big family. B-I-double-G, very <laughs> easily done there. The Little family is made up of William T. Little and Wilma Little, along with their children, Tom and Lucy. There's also Uncle Pete, Granny and Grandpa, and Baby Betsy. These names will sound unfamiliar if you're more familiar with the show, but this was the basis from the original books. Tom and Lucy are seen as good deed doers 
and they live in the house with regular-sized human Henry Big. In the book series, he never discovers that he's living with these tiny people. That also differs from the cartoon. So the original books were a big hit, and Peterson wrote 17 different stories up until 2003. The series was continued from there for another 11 books. These time, they were not written by Peterson. There was also a series developed for younger, younger readers called Little's First Reader Series. That had another 10 books added to the whole collection. It was kind of like... The, yeah, I don't know if you know the Mr. Men books from England. It was just kind of seen as like more of a primary version of that. So let's look at the actual cartoon. So, of course, in the 80s, there's just this explosion of cartoons and pop culture. And for producers and developers, there's barely any time to think. There was so much content being created that you had to put out something that would stick. If you're stuck for ideas, it's worth looking back on things that worked in the past and hope they can find a new audience. On, on like a side note, uh, because it was so hard to come up with things on the spot, you know, creators were just looking at whatever was popular at the time. And that also led to random cartoons like... Um, the Pac-Man cartoon or Rubik the Amazing Cube because the Rubik's Cube was popular at the time. I did a whole show on Rubik the Amazing Cube, which is pretty interesting if you want to go back and listen to that. So that was the easiest way. Just take like whatever was hot and turn that into a cartoon. And then, you know, other things took a little more creativity, whether it was, you know, G.I. Joe, Transformers. He, th these were a little more rooted in, you know, creative... Um, properties that had either been around for a little while or were being you know developed by big teams but if you didn't have time for all this and you couldn't you know someone's already made a show based on a rubik's cube you look to the past when you're stuck for ideas if it worked back then maybe it can work now and find a new audience whether you just have to tinker it a bit or you can leave it exactly as is abc was looking to do just this such a thing and 16 years after the original book was published, they took a crack at turning this unique idea into a cartoon. Dick Entertainment would be the ones who would put together Littles, and they actually weren't based in North America, but in France. And Dick Entertainment, you would know from bringing us shows like Inspector Gadget uh, and the Heathcliff cartoon. But the Littles were actually their very first entry into the American market. The animation, as is usually done at the time, was outsourced to Japan and to a company called Tokyo Movie Shinsha. The post-production would be done here in my home country of Canada by Animation City Editorial Services. So the premise of the Littles cartoon was going to be similar to the books, but there would be some new direction in the character and storytelling. For the characters, you know how Tom Little, Lucy Little, Grandpa Little, who is Helen's father, Dinky Little, who had been in the books, Frank Little, that's the father, Helen Little, the mother, Ashley Little, a second cousin to the family, Henry Big, and now Slick the Turtle. That was my nickname in high school, but never mind. This time around, Henry's aware of the existence of the Littles, and he's best friends with them. You now also had some villains in the form of Dr. Eric Hunter, who has never seen a Little, but is always trying to figure out if they exist. His assistant is the aptly named James Peterson. A lot of the episodes of the first two seasons focused on teaching moral lessons, and I think this is what the show wanted to do to stand out. A lot of cartoons in the 80s were action and violence-centered, and I think ABC wanted to appeal more to families who are maybe trying to keep their kids away from that. You know, as much as 
we loved Transformers and G.I. Joe and He-Man. They, they are rooted in violence, even though there still were restrictions on what could be shown. Like, example, in He-Man, you would never see, you never see anyone killed in these. You don't even see anyone shot. You don't, He-Man, like, I don't even think they um, legally could show someone being punched directly. It could be implied that they're being punched. So, there was, you know, even though it was sort of the gloves were off as far as um, deregulation and any restrictions on cartoons, there will, there still was some things to protect kids from this onslaught of programming that was coming from them. Um, you know, there was some cartoons in the 60s and 70s that were a lot of sort of violence based and their regulations that were put in place by the FCC at the time that gave way to shows like schoolhouse rock or scooby-doo or things that were a little more creative and moving away from that sort of violence and, and aggression that were sort of the hallmarks of a lot of classic cartoons but again abc you know thought maybe you know instead of putting out robots trying to murder each other we'll appeal more to families where everyone can sit down and watch it whether it's the youngest three-year-old daughter an older boy, the fan, like everyone can get into that. Whereas like GI Joe, you know, that audience is pretty much predetermined there. So again, if you remember the show, another big feature of this was at the end, there would be an arts and craft project featured. And again, trying to push some more creativity and being, I guess, uh, somewhat of a, an asset into kids' lives and giving them something they can, you know, use. The second season would then take suggestions that were written in by viewers to try to make it more interactive. So they were really trying to get carve out their own niche and, and, and you know, spread themselves sort of further away from what was going on with just pure commerce-driven cartoons. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here's a few more differences from the books. Henry is aware of the Littles, which is already different from the book, but it's never explained how he actually got to meet them. In the second season, it was mentioned that Henry first knew of the Littles when Tom and Lucy had fallen in his suitcase while he was moving. They would eventually jump out of it for their, what they call, meet cute. This also differs from the movie, which we'll get to in a bit. The two villains are also obviously unique to the cartoon series, but were necessary to keep the pace of the show moving and to give them an adversary. Again, every good cartoon needs a villain, and these two would serve as kind of like a Gargamel to the their Smurfs situation, which I'm now starting to see some more crossover now when I think of the Smurfs a little bit more. So again, you know, they're trying to separate themselves from these cartoons, but, you know, with the concept of just a simple narrative and storytelling, it's just conducive to having some form of adversary. So, you know, every good guy needs a villain, but they're trying to make it a little more of a gentle, goofy villain, which, again, still works. So let's look at some of the notable voice actors. And the 80s were the golden age, if you're a voice actor, as there were so many jobs coming up every day. And I did an episode all about <clears throat> Frank Welker 
who's arguably the best uh, voice actor of the 80s, if you want to look into that episode. And we'll actually see him in a second here. But here's some notable actors who provided voices on the Littles. So we had Jimmy Keegan voiced Henry Little. Keegan ended up being a drummer who played with Santana, believe it or not. Alvy Moore voiced Grandpa. Moore played the iconic Hank Kimball on Green Acres. Gregory Berger voiced Frank Little. Berger did some amazing voices, including Odie on Garfield and Friends, and he was Grimlock on The Transformers. Patricia Harris voiced Helen Little. She's been on a ton of shows, including Smurfs, Super Friends, DuckTales, Gummy Bears, uh, and the Fraggle Rock cartoon. Bettina Bush voiced Lucy Little. Bush was the voice of Megan on My Little Pony, Dottie Dog in the Get Along Gang, and was the singer in the original I'm Loving It McDonald's commercials. Frank Welker voiced Slick the Turtle, which is awesome. Uh, Ken Sansom voiced Dr. Hunter, and Sansom was the voice of Rabbit on The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Okay, so now we're going into the third season. So the show's doing okay, but the first two seasons were devoted to adventures taking place within the big household. And there's only so much you can do in that contained setting. And the producers of the show just wanted to do something to boost the popularity, you know, with the worry of things getting a little stale. They took a new direction and started having the Littles travel around the world. The third season was only eight episodes and included the Littles traveling to places like the Amazon, Egypt, Ireland, Italy, and even in the space shuttle for some reason. I remember this third season really well as they started to branch out um, to all these sort of like travel adventures. The show was still doing decently good numbers and it allowed for the usual merchandising that included you know the tie-ins of storybooks there was a milton bradley game the regular things like stickers and coloring books so it's not like they were you know trying to pretend that they were above the whole idea of uh, commerce and you know making money off a cartoon which is the entire point of entertainment of that nature they were just i think a little more around the way about it whereas you know all credit to companies like hasbro and everything with like gi joe they weren't even trying to hide what they were doing so at least you know the littles is sort of doing the roundabout way okay so let's look at the littles movie called here comes the littles this movie came out in 1985 and was also produced by Dick Entertainment in France. It was a hybrid type movie as it was connected to the TV show, but also to Peterson's original books. The movie reintroduces the story of the Littles and meeting Henry Big, whose uncle is trying to turn the area um, that their house is in into a mall. You can actually see the entire movie. There's a really sweet VHS ripoff on youtube i think there's a few different versions but there's one that's actually a pretty decent quality if you want to relive your childhood and go back henry has found out his parents have been lost on a trip to africa and his uncle augustus is now going to become his guardian the littles who are living in the walls of henry's house are able to stow away in a suitcase and reveal themselves at his uncle's well you know basically reveal themselves or present themselves henry's basically being treated like harry potter and augustus finds the littles mistakes them for toys and locks them up it's also found out that augustus has faked the papers to become henry's guardian basically all the littles escape and they all make their way back to henry's house to stop the demolition of it that make way for the mall augustus is arrested by the police and henry finds out his parents were alive the whole time so all's well that ends well 
Here Comes the Littles was released by Atlantic Releasing and was put out in theaters on May 25th, 1985. It did around $6.6 million in revenue, but, you know, not surprisingly, didn't do well with critics. It's no surprise that movies from this time period are cranked out really quickly to try to capitalize on the success of a popular franchise. This is much where, you know, a production company or, you know, the creative property there's you know trying to say they're different they're still in the same game at the end of the day and if something's hot you just sort of flood the market every way you can and movies was a hot thing to you know get them out in the theaters which took a longer production time i think things like um shows like this would have fared a lot better in this day and age where it wouldn't take as long to produce a movie or you can you know immediately release it onto a streaming service but back then you know, the production time slowed things down so much. So, you know, by the time something actually got to the theaters, the whole property could be dead and kids might not care about it. So that was kind of the issue there. The Another thing, the movie was forced to show mainly during matinees, which makes sense for its audience base, but that limits the number of screenings it could show. It, it's hard for these um, companies and, and productions because that's all they could do is either TV or the theater. That was it. There was no other option. There wasn't even really like the idea of like direct to video yet, which would eventually come down the way, but they had put a whole, you know, feature together. Uh, you know, so they're limited to the number of screenings they could show, but they still put out a sequel. This time they made it for TV, which was probably what they should have done with the first one. This one was called Liberty and the Littles. It aired on ABC in 1986 and was broken into three 30-minute episodes spread out over a few weeks in the fall of 1986. This time, the Littles meet their French cousins at the Statue of Liberty. Liberty and the Littles was supposed to be a theatrical release like the first one, but some problems internally led to it just being put on regular television. And again, it's so different now where we look at, um, you know, very few things are actually released on TV as far as, you know, new series. And I don't even know if you watch regular cable. I, I don't anymore. I, I don't know if the only thing I really watch TV for is live sports and, Everything, of course, is streaming service-based because an entire series can just be put out and dumped overnight or, um, you know, seasons don't have to, you don't have to necessarily wait years and years. They can be put out quite quickly. But putting something out on TV back then was just sometimes as difficult as releasing something in the theaters. There was only, you know, the handful of networks. There was only a handful of time slots and those were so expensive at the time because you know what were you going to do go to netflix it just did not exist so essentially with only the three main networks it there was so many hoops to go through to get your um whatever out there and that's why this was like the three 30 minute uh, episodes spread out over those few weeks in the fall of 86 so it was just it's just a time period not conducive to um, you know, striking while the iron's hot, especially like when you consider that issue of trying to put out a theatrical release. Uh, if they had more time, they probably could have gone back and, and devoted this to like an actual TV airing date and, you know, sort of slow it down and take the time to get the good time slot, um, figure out what, you know, when the demographics watching, but like they just had to throw it out there. And they couldn't put out the full movie, so they just released it in three different spots. So you're, they were really at the mercy of the limits of technology um, and broadcasting, which is too bad. I mean, it's not that people weren't watching these things. It was just 
the limitations held you back so much. So start winding it down here. I, I really think the Littles were a memorable part of the 80s. If you go back, like I said, go back and check out that movie on YouTube. This was a real creative show. It, it had a lot of sort of whimsical fantasy to it. And it um, there's always an a, appeal with things smaller than regular life and seeing what the world is like from that perspective. Again, that approach has worked well with the Smurfs, with Fraggle Rock, with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, but the Littles were able to carve out their own little niche amongst all these 1980s cartoon heavyweights that seemed a little more classic, almost because it's rooted in these older traditional books and stories. And the animation style gave it, I don't want to call it highbrow, but it gave it a little more sophistication compared to, you know, a lot of the offerings out there that were just loud and aggressive and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe it's something you remember fondly. I remember it being, um, you know, a big part of childhood. So I'll wrap it up here. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode and looking back on the littles. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. I will also be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.